Welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. I'm your host, Eric Goldwine. The 2020 U.S. presidential election is fast approaching, but many residents in long-term care, cut off from the outside world, may not get a vote. On this episode of the Nursing Home 411 podcast, Professor Nina Cohn joins the show to discuss voting barriers in long-term care settings and explain why it's imperative that residents' voting rights are protected in this election. Cohn, a David M. Levy professor of law at Syracuse and Solomon Center Distinguished Elder Law Scholar at Yale, also shares a few tips for families, ombudsmen, and advocates to help residents vote. Enjoy the interview. Thank you for coming on our podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. So I want to start with the basics. Uh, What are the voting rights for long-term care residents and how do or don't they differ from that of other U.S. citizens? So residents of long-term care facilities have all the voting rights that they would have if they were not residents of long-term care facilities. The right to vote is a fundamental right, and living in long-term care does not undermine it. Uh, But actually, residents of nursing homes that take either Medicaid or Medicare funds, which is almost all nursing homes, actually have some additional rights. Under the Federal Resident Bill of Rights, residents have the right to be supported by the facility in exercising their rights as citizens of the United States. So nursing home residents, living in facilities that take federal money have the right to have those facilities help them uh, with voting, to support their voting. And are there any misconceptions you want to clear up uh, regarding residents' voting rights, uh, in particular residents with dementia or Alzheimer's? Sure. I think a common misconception is that nursing home residents can't vote or that they're not interested in voting. And in fact, many nursing home residents are very interested in voting. It is um, a fundamental part of their self-identity. They see it as an important part of their duty as a citizen. Um, And so voting is very important for many long-term care residents. And the mere fact that an individual has a diagnosis of, say, dementia, Uh, does not mean that that individual cannot, in fact, vote. The individual may be able to make voting choices, and very well-reasoned voting choices, even with some level of cognitive impairment. So you've written extensively on on this topic. In fact, I was researching this, and I stumbled upon a 2000 article of yours titled Preserving Voting Rights in Long-Term Care, institution. So in normal non-2020 COVID conditions, um, of course, there are unique challenges today in this upcoming election that we'll get to, but in normal non-2020 conditions, what barriers do residents face for voting? So that's a terrific question. And in the 2007 article um, you mentioned, I laid out these barriers fairly extensively. 
Uh, but long-term care residents really face two different flavors of barrier. Some of these are barriers that reflect the resident's underlying disabilities. So for example, we know that the majority of nursing home residents are chair-bound, which means that they cannot realistically access polling places, at least not without extensive assistance. And many have cognitive impairments that make it difficult for them to comply with voting processes, even though it may not actually affect their ability to make a voting choice. So for example, a resident with impaired short-term memory may have difficulty remembering the instructions for requesting a ballot. Or a resident with muscular issues may have difficulty filling in the little circle that they need to fill in on the ballot. But other barriers that nursing home residents and other residents of long-term care facilities face reflect the setting in which they're living. So for example, residents of long-term care facilities may have reduced access to mechanisms for communicating with people outside the facility. They may not, for example, be able to access mail or telephone to request an absentee ballot without uh, assistance. And the institutional setting can also affect their ability to receive outside information. So we know that media, for example, is really an important source of information for voters as it helps them not only educate themselves about the candidates and about the issues, but also helps remind them of the time and place of elections. So if you look at long-term care residents compared to their peers in the community, they're less likely to have access to control over whether they can access the media and what sources of media they can access. And for many residents, they may only have a television, for example, in a common area. They may not be able to control what's in that television. And now amid COVID, they may not even be able to get to that television uh, because they're isolated in their room. So there's both the barriers that reflect underlying disability and barriers that reflect the nature of institutional living and the way it's being done in the United States. Yeah. And what is the facility's role or, or legal responsibilities in terms of facilitating um, voting in terms of helping residents through those barriers? That's a great question, and it is somewhat of a gray area. The bare minimum is that a facility should not be blocking access to the vote and should be helping individuals who request, for example, help with mailing a ballot or learning the date of elections and complying with those election processes. One common source of confusion is that some facilities think that their duty is only to help residents vote if they think those residents can or should vote. And that's not the case. Facilities absolutely should not be screening residents for their ability to vote or offering ballots only to those people they think have sufficient cognitive capacity to do it right. You, uh, there's a recent ProPublica article in which you were quoted. We'll link to it in our show description. But one of the the numbers that was in this, the article was uh, was about long-term care residents uh, and the barriers they're facing in voting in this upcoming election. But one of the numbers that was in that was Medicare doc from 2018 through 2019, 
Medicare documented complaints from at least 55 U.S. nursing homes in which residents said they weren't given the opportunity to vote or or were unable to get help casting a ballot. And I understand it it's, might be more widespread than that 55, but what, what are examples uh, of, of this? Um, like in what ways are, are, nurse, are residents not getting the opportunity or are unable? What do these violations look like? Well, these violations take a variety of approaches. So some of the violations that we see if we look at those inspection reports is that an individual requested transportation to the polls and was denied that transportation. In some cases, the individual had made the arrangements with the facility to get transported to the polls and the day of polling, uh, they're told, sorry, uh, we're not going to take you. Um, and there's uh, one particularly sort of galling inspection report where, for example, the individual is told around noontime, actually it's a little after 11 a.m., that sorry, it's just too late for us to take you to the polls. Try again next election. Other violations that you see when you look at those inspection reports, though, are simply that the facility failed to let the residents know that an election was coming up or failed to, as they might be required to do, request absentee ballots for registered voters. In some cases, facilities told people that they didn't have a right to vote when they did. What's interesting with the number cited by ProPublica is that it is undoubtedly a drastic undercount. Because if you actually read these inspection reports, you see that this issue typically arises when the inspector meets with a selected residents, residents who've been selected by the facility, to talk with the inspector about their experiences, and the residents spontaneously bring up the issue. And so typically that's right after an election, and the inspector just happens to have in front of them a resident who is upset about not being allowed to vote. It does not look like this is something that inspectors, by and large, are actually looking for. These are spontaneous, it appears, um, complaints made by residents. We have a, uh, a little election coming up. And, and <laughs> just a, couple, a little one. Just a little one in a, in a couple months. And... Well, we're, what we're hearing both on the ground and we're seeing reports is that this is a, between COVID-19 and worries, concerns over delays, post office delays, this is a perfect storm of conditions uh, that are going to complicate things and perhaps block residents from, from, from voting in this upcoming election. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Well, I think we're headed for a perfect storm unless there's a quick correction. Um, If you look at the barriers that nursing home residents, long-term care residents face pre-COVID, those barriers have just bloomed. So let me give you a couple examples of why things are so much worse right now. So even before COVID-19, long-term care residents, as we were just discussing, often did not receive the help that they needed to comply with election procedures, whether that be help requesting a ballot or marking it as required or returning it. And prior to COVID-19, the primary source, it appears, of that help for most residents were family members. 
but bans on family visits and limitations on how those visits occur in the rare places where they are occurring may mean that family would normally provide this role can't. You know, the other way that states have uh, been progressive in supporting the rights of long-term care residents to vote is that roughly half the states have procedures for election officials to go into facilities to assist with voting. And it's really unclear how these laws that govern election workers going into facilities will intersect with limitations on visitors. Some may be suspended. So for example, prior to COVID, Wisconsin had one of the best approaches on the books. It provided voting deputies uh, who would provide ballots and assist with completion where there was one or more qualified voters in the facility, that program has been suspended. And this type of suspension is a particular problem in those states that have laws on the books that say that staff may not assist with voting. When you can't have staff assisting with voting, and there's reason to question whether uh, that's really a permissible ban, but when you can't have staff providing voting assistance, access by election officials is utterly essential to ensure the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to talk about some of the other back problems we're seeing amid COVID too, if you want me to continue. Yes, yes, please. And what you said about visitors, I think also applies to ombudsmen and their access. Uh, if I understand right, they uh, have also in the past been a, um, have facilitated voting. Is that correct? Right. So the when you don't have ombudsmen going into facilities, and let me be clear, you should have ombudsmen going into facilities. It's utterly indefensible for ombudsman programs to be kept out of facilities, either by their choice or by anybody else's choice. With proper PPE, ombudsmen should be going in. They're no less essential than staff. But ombudsmen play a critical role in disseminating, disseminating information about voting rights, letting people know when the election is, and also providing oversight to make sure that residents' voting rights are respected. Yeah, and so when ombudsmen aren't in those facilities, now we have an additional barrier to the right to vote, and also just the withdrawal of federal oversight over nursing home facilities is a risk factor as well, right? We have reports coming out of Illinois, for example, that uh, there were 270 plus uh, complaints of abuse and neglect in Illinois nursing homes that went utterly uninvestigated for three and a half months. That's abuse and neglect, right? So basic oversight is missing amid COVID with very little ramifications. And of course, the limitations on legal liability being adopted by states and being pushed in the U.S. Senate will make that only worse. And of course, we also have problems when we have individuals essentially barricaded in their rooms that they may not be in the places within the facility where they could acquire election-related information, right? That communal area where the TV's on or the newspaper's available may now be out of bounds. And then I'll just mention one last thing that affects especially assisted living facility residents. You had some states prior to COVID uh, that tried to make voting more accessible to individuals in these facilities by locating polling places in assisted living facilities. Right. Now, there were some inequities about which assisted living facilities got polling places located in them, especially 
between wealthier institutions and less wealthy institutions. But now what we've seen is that states are pulling polling places out of these facilities. And that may make sense insofar as you don't want outsiders coming into the facility, but they're not necessarily making provision for those residents to vote. And I think one thing that's quite interesting about that is that when you change the processes that people have been relying on, you create a level of confusion and people think those processes will still exist and find out too late they don't, right? So when you go, for example, and look at those uh, inspection reports finding voting violations, in a number of them, there's discussion about, well, there was some change in policy or change in staff, and there was confusion because we were relying on something that no longer exists. And I'm quite concerned that people have begun to rely on polling places in their facilities. When those get withdrawn, they may not realize in time to make other arrangements. Now, say you're a uh, uh, family member or an ombudsman or just an advocate for a long-term care residents and say you're concerned about their ability to vote in this upcoming election. What steps can be taken at the uh, at that level? So I would direct family members uh, to vote.org. It's a terrific website that has voting uh, information about voting procedures for all 50 states and information about how to request an absentee ballot um, and what's required to do that. And family members can play a role in helping residents get ballots family members should also reach out to nursing homes and let them know that family is watching and expects homes to follow what federal regulations say they have to do in the first place and support the right to vote. And are there any, uh, we've talked about some negative examples um, of, of, of violations of where things have gone wrong. Are there any you can point to of either at the at a facility level or state policy that you can point to that you've heard of in the last couple months that you see as a positive example of, of, of someone going out of their way to manage this? Well, I'm afraid I don't have any in the past couple months, but I can talk about a couple best practices that are certainly applicable even among COVID. At the facility level, it seems to be quite important to assign a person or a small team to have responsibility for this. Uh, because unless you have a dedicated person who knows that this is my job and I have to do it, it often falls beside uh, the wayside. So facilities should be having that conversation today. Who's in the facility is gonna be the expert? Who's gonna be the point person for this? At the state level, I think we have some very good law on the books in some states. Um, and Wisconsin, I gave you as an example, uh, Tennessee has provisions for election officials to assist residents with ballot completion who need that. The open question is whether states are going to make good on those promises in law, or are they going to ignore their legal duties or pass new legislation or executive orders to try to uh, suspend them? 
And I will point out that the mere fact that election officials say they're, they're not going to follow what's in the law does not mean they don't have to. And how, how would you go about uh, pressuring those, uh, putting some pressure on those elected officials? Well, that's a great question. In terms of putting pressure on election officials, I think uh, the thing you're doing right now, Eric, is, is actually incredibly important. Letting people know that nursing home residents want to vote. They care about voting. They are an important part of our community and many of them do vote. And I think it's also important to recognize that when you deny nursing home residents the right to vote, you're denying a group with concrete interests that, who have almost no other way to advance those interests, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is a group that disproportionately relies on Medicaid. This is a, a group that is disproportionately disadvantaged uh, by the pullbacks and enforcement and the executive orders we've been seeing coming out amid COVID. This is not statistical noise to deny this group the right to vote. This will have a patterned effect. And I also think it's important to recognize that when the state does not put a priority on nursing home voting, there still will be some nursing home voting, right? It will occur in those facilities uh, that support their residents, uh, that perhaps uh, value their residents and think their residents are rights-bearing citizens, and less so in other facilities. And so you will have potentially a disparate impact on facilities where you already have the most vulnerable resident populations. So. Uh, we close uh, we close our podcast with our uh, guest recommendations um, where I'm going to ask oh, you. Fun. <laughs> First, I'm going to ask you for a long-term care uh, related. This is, could be a book or a movie or a uh, article or a, I don't know, CD album. I don't know. Uh, it could be anything. And then, and then one that's, that's not long-term care. So let, let's uh, hear your long-term care related recommendation. So I'm going to give you two, one for those people okay. who like to read and one for those people who like to stream. Okay. For the people who like to stream, I recommend The Farewell, a uh, 2019 uh, movie starring Aquafina, and anything starring Aquafina is fun. Uh, but it's a great story uh, about a family uh, end-of-life decision-making. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a good beach read and you don't mind it having some really dark humor and a lot of death, then you can't go wrong. Uh, with Roz Chass' memoir, uh, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? It's a terrific book. Okay, I'll, I'll link to those in the show, show description. Um, now, yeah, I know you've been on your own kind of media tour. You, were, uh, you, you had a legislative hearing appearance uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, but have you, is there anything you've been doing to keep your mind uh, just so it's not 24-7 on long-term care? Anything you've been watching or reading? I've been swimming, and there's nothing like floating in water uh, to take your mind off whatever else is going on, swimming and kayaking. Yeah. You got a lake or a, a pool or? or uh, well, I live in the Finger Lakes, so uh, right near Cayuga Lake, uh, which has beautiful and fairly clean water, even amid COVID. Okay. Well, I hope you get in a good, uh, good swim this weekend. We're recording this on uh, August 27th so i guess the second uh, last official summer weekend um 
But thanks for coming on so to our audience. Remember to vote and do what you can to help uh, long-term care residents vote as well. Thanks, Nina. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Nursing Home 411 podcast. You can find more episodes on our website, nursinghome411.org, and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please support our work by subscribing, sharing, and rating the show. And finally, remember to vote. Our music is by Silverman Sound Studios. Till next time.